you ever experienced a situation of mistaken identity? Where you either mistook someone else or somebody was mistaken about your identity? I think a couple weeks ago I shared a, a quick story that I was at the mall, I was walking around Grease Mall, and, and I heard somebody say, hey, it's good to see you. And I looked over and this lady's waving at me. And I went over and chatted. We had a lovely conversation, caught up. At some point, we both pulled the masks down and, and went, we don't know each other at all. <laughs> As I was writing that out in my notes, I thought, you know, sometime years down the road, somebody's going to hear a recording of this sermon and go, they did what? They pulled masks down? Why were they wearing masks? I look forward to the day that that sounds weird again. Amen. Amen. Sometimes a case of mistaken identity is not that big a deal. Sometimes it's a really big deal. I remember once in elementary school, I was coming home from school, getting off the bus, and we, we were dropped off at the bottom of a hill, and we had to walk up to my house. No, it wasn't uphill both ways, just one way. But we had to walk uphill to the, to the house, and I'm walking up, and my house was just kind of over the crest of the hill on the left-hand side, and the house right in front of it, our neighbor's house, could be seen when you got off the bus. And I noticed there were a lot of cars out there. And I thought, this is interesting. It was a very quiet. We lived on a cul-de-sac, so really there was nobody up there except us and, and our neighbors. There was no reason for people to go up there. It was a great place as kids to ride bikes and play. So I'm walking up there. I don't know. I was probably fourth or fifth grade and uh, probably had a couple of the other neighbor kids with me. I don't remember. But we're walking up. And as I get closer, I realize those aren't just any cars. Those are police cars. And those police cars are in front of my neighbor's house. And I thought, this is weird. I got a little closer and I realized it's not just cars. The police are there outside of their cars with their guns drawn, pointed at my neighbor's house. True story. Turns out, we learned later, somebody in the area had robbed a store or something. And that somebody had a bushy beard and a red convertible. My neighbor had a bushy beard and a red convertible. And somebody had seen him driving home and called the police. And the police had followed him to his house. And somehow, you know, he came out and they got it all sorted out. At least that was the story we were told. We never saw him again. But that was what we were told. <laughs> no, it wasn't him. Mistaken identity. Serious. That's that's a pretty serious situation of a mistaken identity. Today, I want to look at an even more serious situation. And it's the answer to the question that we all must answer in our life. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Our answer to this question, I think, is probably the most important thing about us. As a church, we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in this for almost 40 weeks now, I think. And Matthew starts right off at the very beginning. And he says, this is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then we go into the Christmas passages. And he says, this is Emmanuel, God with us. These are all Matthew saying, look, this is who Jesus is. And as you read the Gospels, you see Jesus touch lepers. People that you would never touch because you would get sick. Instead, they get healed because of Jesus. That's who Jesus is. You see Jesus speak out to or speak up for and speak to outcasts. He shows love to them. 
We see him perform miracles, turning water into wine, multiplying loaves and fish because he's the great creator. All of them answering the question, who is Jesus? And then we get to the passage I want to look at today where Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them this question. Who do you say I am? Now I need to say up front, we're not actually in the Easter story in Matthew. It's just purely poor planning on my part, honestly. But really the Easter story is all over Scripture and all over the gospel, because everything in Jesus' life leads up to the crucifixion and the resurrection, and everything that we are as Christians as a church looks back to the cross and the resurrection. So the story and the account and the truth and the power of the resurrection is in and through it all. But I think especially when we come to this question, I kind of pity Jesus' disciples here. Because this is before the crucifixion, it's before the resurrection, and he asks this question, who do you say I am? We get to look back on the resurrection. That's a part of our answering of this question. But they were kind of put on the spot. Let me read for you Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he kind of takes a little poll. What's the word on the street? Who do people say, I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And we could look at each one of those and the significance to the Jewish people and and what it means coming out of the Old Testament. But really, if I could sum them all up, it's kind of people's way of saying, he's a good religious guy. He's a good religious leader. He's, He's one of the many people that we should listen to. He's got good things to say. Although, if you were to talk to John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, they would certainly set the record straight and say, "Uh uh-uh, he's way more than just a good religious teacher. In Matthew, we see people give many answers to this question, who is Jesus? Some saw him feed a crowd of 5,000 with a few loaves and fish, and another time, a crowd of 4,000, and actually much more than that. That was only counting the men. And so people are following him, saying, he's a great provider. We're struggling for food. We're struggling to get by in the day-to-day life. Things are kind of against us, and he will provide. And they follow him, and they want to see what he will do next. They wanted to see another miracle. Some saw him as a teacher, and they had questions. And they wanted to get a good answer to a good question, a good philosophical, theological dialogue and debate. They saw him as a teacher. Some saw him as a threat. They had power and control. And here's this man coming along claiming he is the king of the Jews and people are following him. And they see that as a threat and they want to silence him. All three of these are mistaken identities. Oh, sure, they're right in some ways, but they're wrong in so many others. And I don't think that these cases of mistaken identity are unique to the people of Jesus' day. I still think today some people see Jesus as just a provider. Well, you cry out to Jesus when you're in trouble, and that's good. 
But then what happens when the trouble's over? How often do we forget about Jesus when everything's okay until we have a need and then it's, oh, Jesus, help me. And then we don't have a need and it's, okay, now Jesus, leave me alone. We see him as a provider. I think we see him as a teacher. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you go the extra mile and go to Bible studies, get into really good debates and discussions with other believers, opening up scripture, comparing translations, discussing, maybe even arguing. But maybe you can do the same thing with political debates or current events. And Jesus is just one among many of the subjects you like to discuss. Jesus can become just a subject to be studied or a topic of conversation, just another teacher. I still think today many of us see him as a threat. We want to believe. We want to hold on to the notion that we are in charge of our lives. That we get to plan where to go and what to do and what to say, and it's all on us. It is our life, and we will figure things out the way we want And Jesus comes along and says that he is Lord. And we want to say, well, he's got to be a hoax. Can't possibly be true because if it was true, then I'm not actually in control. And that terrifies us. We don't want to be taken in. It's very easy to be mistaken about the identity of Jesus Christ. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just ask a vague question to his disciples, who do people say I am? He goes right to the source. He says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And it's interesting, the original language here is Greek. And in the Greek, it starts off with you. It's like him pointing a finger. You. Who do you say I am? Jesus gets personal. Their answer to this question will change their lives. And I don't think it's stretching the account of Scripture to say that their answer to this question will change the course of human history. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to at least admit the impact that the gospel has had on the history of this world. These men struggling, struggling to live and follow and understand who Jesus was, was and is, will go out and change the world because of their answer to this question, who do you say I am? Today is Easter. And it's a really good time to ask this question to each one of us. Who do you say Jesus is? Let's look at how one of them, Peter, answered this question. In verse 16, he gives what really is an amazing answer, especially if you know Peter, who was known for doing some not-so-brilliant things. But he gives here a brilliant answer in verse 16. He says, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Messiah meant the one that was promised to the Jewish people to come and rescue them, this coming king. And in the Old Testament, it was the idea of a coming savior, but they didn't quite understand that. They looked forward to this king. But what's really interesting, I think, is that second phrase, the son of the living God. See, we use that phrase a little different today. 
to them, to, to say you're the son of someone had a double meaning. It certainly meant, as we use it, a family relationship. I have two sons, Ethan and Gibson. They are my sons. You could say you are the son of Dave. And they are my children. I am their father. Family relationship. And it certainly means that. But in the Jewish culture, they had another meaning for that, which also meant son of meant you are exactly like. Now, my sons are like me in some ways. I'm sorry to say for their sake. They're like me in some ways. I sure hope they're not exactly like me. You know, there were two disciples and they had the nickname Sons of Thunder. It didn't literally mean that Thunder had babies and these two guys were the offspring. It meant that they were just like Thunder. I would have liked to have met those guys. That they were fun. A little crazy. Sons of Thunder. If you give someone a nickname, give them a good nickname. Sons of Thunder. And the point is that they had characteristics of thunder. So when he uses this phrase of Jesus, he is saying both. You are the son of God. God is his heavenly father. But he's also saying you are just like God. In fact, in scripture, we have to stretch that farther. You're not only just like God. When we come to Jesus, you are exactly God. In every single way, Jesus is the exact representation of God. Hebrews chapter three or chapter one, verse three says, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So when Peter comes to answer this question and he looks at Jesus, he's saying, there is something different about you, Jesus. I'm not just looking at a good teacher. I'm not just looking at a miracle worker. I am looking at the exact perfect representation of God. You are the son of God. Now, some might say, and I've heard this so many times, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Christians made that up. He never actually said that. The Bible never says that. And people use this to hide behind he's just a good teacher, one among many. Because I think we have to wrestle with the fact that if he is truly God, he's way better than any teacher that ever came along. And his words carry a whole lot more authority than anybody else. There's an interesting account in John chapter 10. Religious leaders are mad at Jesus again. They tended to be mad at him a lot. This one's kind of extreme because they're about to stone him. If you don't know what that means, it it means they're going to put him, usually they would push the person off a cliff and they would pick up stones, not pebbles. This wasn't like making fun of someone. This was the goal to kill them in the most inhumane and, and horrible way, really, apart from the cross. They would push them down a cliff or or off the edge of a a hill and then they would all pick up big rocks, as big as they could hold, and just chuck them at him and just keep going until he was dead. And they want to do this to Jesus. And he asks them why and he says, or they say, this is the religious leaders, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. The religious leaders of Jesus' day understood what Jesus was saying. Okay, 
pastor. That, but, but that's them saying it. It's not really Jesus saying it. Look at this. In fact, this is really interesting. Just a couple verses later, he says, What about the one, this is Jesus speaking, whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do you see the link there? They understand that when he claims to be God's son, he is claiming to be God, and they're ready to kill him for it. Who do you say I am? Peter says, you're God. You're completely different than any other teacher that we could follow or listen to. You are God. Our answer to the question, who is Jesus, is the most important answer we will give in our lives. If he's just a good teacher, we're going to take his advice and add it into everything else that's good in our lives and everything else we hear on the radio or on TV or on the internet, and he's just one more good voice. If Jesus is just a good provider, then we'll only turn to him when we're in need and we'll say thank you and then go about living our lives the way we want to live it. And if Jesus is a threat, we'll have to come up with reasons why being a Christian is foolish and ridiculous and ignorant. But what proof is there? He asked them a question. They gave an answer. But it needs to be based on something. What's the proof? And it's interesting how Jesus responds to what Peter has said. He says in verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Simon was his original name. Jesus changed it to Peter. He's using his original name here. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. We can't miss this. What Jesus is saying is that the answer to the question, who is Jesus, will never just be figured out by human beings. It is not a human idea with human logic and human reason that we can figure it out and come to this wonderful conclusion, hmm, yes, I have deduced Jesus is God and he is the Messiah. I have stated it. It is so. Jesus says that's not how it works you're going to only truly come to that conclusion if God enables you to get there. Well, that's hard, isn't it? Because it means that we cannot just rely on what we think about Jesus. I talk to people all the time and they have all these reasons. Well, I heard this and I heard that about Jesus and I saw these things in the Bible and I compared them and they love to just reason it all out. The problem with that is when we stand in judgment on the word of God and who God is, we've messed up the picture from the very beginning. We're saying, I'm in control and he is subject to my judgment, whereas the Bible says the exact opposite. You can't start with the wrong picture and come to the right answer. You can't. And so Jesus says, God has to reveal it. And you know what? God did. 
Listen to how Paul, the Apostle Paul, introduces himself in one of his letters, the letter to the Galatians. He calls himself, they, they uh, you know, we sign the end of a letter, they sign the beginning. And so he says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and the God of, or and the God the Father, who, what? Raised him from the dead. There's the proof. You want proof that Jesus is God? You want proof that he is our savior? There it is. You're here on Easter morning and this is the proof. God raised Jesus from the dead. And I love how Paul starts this letter because what he's saying is, if you want to know something about me, start here. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you know the story of Paul, that quite literally changed his life. He was out to arrest and even kill Christians because he was so adamant that Jesus was not the Messiah. And then Jesus, after his crucifixion and after his his resurrection and after his ascension, Jesus appears to Paul and Paul goes, I got nothing left. I'm wrong. He's right. God reveals that Jesus is risen from the dead. The resurrection is the proof of who Jesus is. We can't come up with that. The disciples didn't come up with that. God proved that Jesus is his son and our savior. So when Jesus says things like this in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except by me. He's not saying that as one among many good teachers. He's not saying that as one among many ways that you can make yourself happy. He's not saying that as one option that you can sit in judgment on and dismiss. He's saying, I'm it, period, full stop. People will say, you know, there's many different ways to be saved, many ways to God. You can believe in Muhammad or Buddha or anything else that makes you happy. There's many different ways to be saved. Jesus will have none of it. If you want to believe that there are many different ways to be saved, please take Jesus off your list. Because Jesus does not believe that at all. He says, I am the way. And I got to say, that's really bold and probably quite a bit arrogant. How dare he say that he is the only way? And there's one answer to that. Because he rose from the dead to prove it. The resurrection is the proof that Jesus is God, that he did die to pay for our sins, and that he does offer eternal life to all who believe. It's the proof. You know, I find it interesting As I drive around and I see stores and I see decorations. And as I listen to news stories and I see people appropriating things from other culture and people getting upset about it. And I get that. But then I see what we've done to Easter and I think, wait a minute, this means something to me. This means something to us and it has nothing to do with bunnies and eggs. And don't get me wrong, you want to decorate with bunnies and eggs, that's fine. The problem is, that's not what Easter is about. Don't miss the whole point of Easter. Don't make the mistake about the identity of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. 
He is the one who went to the cross for you to pay the price for your sin. And he is the one that God rose from the dead, promising eternal life to all who believe. Don't miss the question. Who is Jesus? And I challenge you, and I encourage you, and I beg of you, Today, get an answer to that question for yourself. Who is Jesus? You. Who do you say he is? It doesn't matter what your parents said, or your grandparents said, or your pastor at your church, or your Sunday school teacher. Those things are wonderful and good, but who do you say he is? The Bible says, He is your Savior. He is your God. And He has risen from the dead, promising eternal life to all who believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, Easter morning, we come to You and we thank You for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the proof that you have provided in history that is beyond our judgment and our creativity that did not come about through human reasoning or man-made ideas, but rather is your will and your power on display. Father, I can stand up here and say so many things that might help people and encourage them and make them happy and feel good. And I hope people get that. But God, only Jesus can die in our place. And only Jesus can rise from the dead and promise eternal life. And that's where true hope is. That's where true healing is found. That's where new life begins. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here today struggling to answer that question, who is Jesus? May you point them to the cross and the resurrection. And Father, for each one of us, help us to challenge ourselves to truly and deeply think about our answer to that question. Because maybe we've slid into one of those mistaken identities of Jesus that we didn't even realize. And we need to come back to the cross and the empty tomb and the resurrection. We thank you and praise you that he is risen indeed. In his name we pray. Amen.